Welcome back to the World on Drugs podcast, everybody. I'm Steve Fury, and we got another what? Banger on our hands, folks, this week, all about the Emil Dinzio and Dinzio crew, the most prolific bank burglars, not robbers, during the 1960s and early 70s. I'll give you all the details about their biggest score, stealing $13 million in Tricky Dick Nixon's dirty campaign contribution money. Most of his information comes straight from a book self-published by Emil Dinzio to tell the real story, and not that bullshit one his nephew did in 2004. Oh, great to be back, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Joe Hoswell. Also, as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for, for a little while, the beginning is me kind of ranting about the world. If you don't want to listen to that kind of stuff, you just want to get cut the goods, no filler. Uh, if you check on um, the info of the episode in the beginning, it'll say where the podcast starts. So you can skip all my BS if you don't join me. But the problem is some people join this podcast because they like me as a comedian, as an artist, and some people don't give a flying fuck and they just want to hear about criminals and evil people. So I try to help you out with that. So what have I been up to? You know what, man? Not getting that Netflix thing still keeps coming up. Uh, they just released all the names today. The people they jo- uh, released, uh, great names, you know, great comics. Definitely not going to talk shit anywhere like that. But when you try for something like that and you don't get it, it's a special pain because, um, you know, I do auditions for movies and TV shows and shit like that. But when you say no to that or they say no to you on that, that's just you reading someone else's words. But when you're doing this one, they say, no, I don't like you. They're saying, I don't like you as a uh, artist, and I don't like the art you create. Now, is this going to ruin my life? No, I'm going to be fine. Um, is it something I really wanted? Yeah, 100%. But, you know, guess what, guys? Eight people got it. Out of 500, I wasn't one of them. There's a lot of people that are bummed out. But it's great to see, you know, the net. It's, it, it's an interesting... <laughs> This, this game is very interesting because, you know, it's like when you're at work, but you actually like everyone you work with. You don't secretly hate them or anything. So when, when your friends beat you at stuff, it's always like, ah, I wish I got that, but at least they got it. So today, uh, Tuesday, April 5th, Netflix has released all their other shows they're doing during the, uh, their festival, too. Didn't get any of those, but it's fine. I'm doing well. Just interesting, you know. Thought thought things were going to be going a little better right now. Um, not doing the birth dates, not doing Netflix, probably not going to do JFL. When, you know, your ego just gets ahead of you. In the beginning of this year, I was like, dude, I'm going to have Burt, JFL, and Netflix. And now I got nothing. But my life is still good. All I can really do is, you know, I can bitch and complain and be a little bitch about it. Or just try and get better, man. Just try and work on yourself and get better. Sorry you guys have to hear me go down this weird little hole. But honestly, I'm not that sad. Just kind of bummed out. But at least all my friends are doing well. Whatever. Let's get to the podcast, huh? All right, now let's take it to the podcast. I still got some other stuff to do. What do I got coming up? How have I been since last talking to you guys? Um, last week did that George Perez show. I don't know if we talked about that with you. Um, last Friday was a pretty great night for me. I had two shows in the belly room, and one of them was with uh, George Perez. So let's just get into talking about it in the beginning. As I've said before, there's a gentleman named Josh Martin who works at the Comedy Store. He's kind of like a little, uh, just tells on everybody. He's close to 40 years old, and he's a tattletale, and he gets everybody in trouble. Uh, now, he's gotten most of my friends in trouble, and some of them almost fired from the Comedy Store. 
So I try to mess with them as hard as possible. So every night in the original room, um, there's a list called fallouts. Okay, That means if some of the comedians don't show up and no one's there, they'll go straight to the list of who's the fallouts. How do you get on fallouts? You show up as early as possible at the comedy store. You put your name down. So I wanted to mess with uh, Josh is also a bartender there. So he always gets his name first. So I made sure I got his own name on Friday first, on my name first on the fallouts list, and and I had one of my friends put it on there. I did it. I didn't. They didn't put it on there. I put it on there. But they helped me uh, get the piece of paper out. Um, so what happens with the fallouts is if someone doesn't show up, you can go up. Or at the end of the night, if there's an audience left, they'll just start going off the fallouts. So apparently, before I even got there, and just just made me happy, uh, Josh was freaking the fuck out. Complaining to management. Complaining to the bookers. They're like, how'd Steve Fury do this? Why is his name ahead of mine? And listen, um... I will do the, you know, if someone's not there and I'm there and my name's on the list, yeah, I'd love to go up. But the one going up in the middle of the night when no one's there, I did that for years and I, it's not really on the top of my to-do list, but I still like to do it. So when I put the Josh's one up there, I did it essentially to be like, uh, you know, going to put my name down, but not even going to do it. And I just want him to freak out as much as possible. And then in the end, me not even go up just to show him that just chill the fuck out, bro. So, before I'm even getting to the comedy store for my three spots that night, I'm already pretty happy. Why? Because he can't complain to me and me get in trouble because people like me more than him. So, it's just fun to see him get mad. Then I get to the comedy store, go up to the belly room. Joe, uh, George Perez sold out two shows in the belly room on that April 1st, and both were so fun. I mean, his audience, too, is so funny because it's just like people you'd expect, you know. ton of face tattoos, large, uh, large uh, surplus of Pendleton and uh, I went up, got to hang out with my buddy Frank Castillo, Chris Storen. Everyone had a great set. It was fun. Now I start getting tipsy, right? I go, okay, I also have a main room spot. I don't like to fuck around too much on the main room spot. And I go, okay, let's go to the main room. Then I'm about to go up on the main room. Also, all the all my friends and stuff are hanging out because it's Friday night and everyone's going to be there, so it's a big party. Go up in the main room, do good. Then I start getting real feisty. Like Then I'm like, okay, I waited till 1030 the belly room show hasn't even started yet, so I'm going to get toasted. And then I started getting real toasted. And then I did George Perez's second show. Oh, my God. I literally, before I went up, this doesn't happen often. I literally, before I go up, I was like, hey, I might not go up that long because uh, I might have to throw up. And everyone's like, yeah, no problem, no problem. And you're like, Steve, why would you fuck up a belly room spot? Well, you know, it's uh, once you're where I am, it doesn't. they don't really matter. No one really gives a shit what happens in the belly room. So I go up, and plus all my friends are there. It was a party. I go up there. First thing I do is kind of do a long burp because I, <laughs> I am not feeling good. Exhale, then proceed to have just a fantastic set. And it just shows how much I love George Perez, how much I love the Comedy Store, and how much I love his fans. It was so fun. Um, other than that, you know, like I said, I'm starting a new show with my buddy J.F. Harris. He did the episode on the crypto guy. It's going to be on the last Friday of every month. Um, also, my one with Craig Conant, Buried, is coming to the Comedy Store. Hopefully one day we can get that into a main room. Other than that, you know what, man? I think I'm going to be in L.A. for a while. I'm not sure. I should hear back from Bert in a little while. You know, I'm, I'm, whatever he decides is fine. I understand, you know, you can't have some limping guy around when you got a lot of stuff to do. Okay, cat, go fuck off. I've been scratching my cat the whole time here, and she's just not letting me alone. <sighs> What's been going on in the world? Oh, the Will Smith slap, slap, right? No one cares about my opinion about this. Chris Rock slapped 
or Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, Jesus Christ, on the Oscars, right? And everyone's talking about that. At least they were a couple days ago. I'll just say one short thing. If um, if Chris Rock threatened to hit Jada, then I think it's okay for Will to slap back because in I believe in uh, equality. And to me, if if a man is uh, you know, if my girlfriend is sound of mind and fine and a man's talking shit she can talk shit back i don't why, why would i need to do that for her there's no strength involved there's no hitting there's nothing like that she should be able to defend herself and i definitely shouldn't hit someone who's just been talking shit unless you know you're doing some hood rat shit so that's my one on that one in other words keeping up on tvs does anyone else t- tv always need an update I want to tell everyone here, and I want to tell uh, the world, I'm done with updating. Okay? I'm done updating things. When I buy it, that's the way it's going to be. Because every time you do update it, what happens? Things get worse. I've never updated a single thing in my life and went, this is better. Also, there's a rapper named Gunu in Baltimore. I've never heard of the gentleman. But his friend... <laughs> he died. Okay? Recently. And then... His friends and family took him to the club, like a dance club, and then they partied in Baltimore all night with a dead man, Gunu. I gotta say, number one, great friends, okay? Number two, how would I feel about that? It's kind of cool, man. I'd kind of be fine with it, you know? If... uh, if we all want to celebrate my friend, like he just loved shooting ducks, so he brought this cadaver with us as we launch clay pigeons in the air, I think I'm fine with that. My question is, where would my friends take me for one last party? I think the comedy store. It's just me in the back of the room, dead, rotting, and people are going. <laughs> I mean, it's such a weird thing to do with a dead body and think it's okay um i was doing some research for uh, a couple of these drug dealers and uh cartels and i gotta say i want to give a shout out to red bull the drink because their um their promo team is the best i've ever seen in the world because nowhere else would i be looking up videos of uh drug dealers in myanmar And some guy's on a fishing boat with 20 keys of heroin in the back. And he's got a Red Bull plaque. I can't tell you the weird places I've seen Red Bull paraphernalia. I just got to say, I don't know uh, who's doing Red Bull Myanmar, but that guy, straight crushing it. Also, I want to have a new new rule. Just stealing this idea from uh, old uh, Bill Maher. If you do a documentary and a TV show or a podcast, and it has no end, ending, you should be shot in your head, okay? I'm tired of watching these documentaries on Hulu or TV or anything, HBO, and you get to the end and there's nothing there. If a family was brutally murdered and raped, I want to know who it was. I don't want to have another question in my life. I want to make a documentary about all the documentaries that hurt me because they had no ending. I don't give a fuck about you, your sister, or your fat, bald uncle, or what sad little thing happened in their life. I want a murderer, and I want pictures of him on death row, and sometimes towards the end, I want to have a little interview with him. 
If I watch your bullshit documentary and there is no murderer, I should get to do- murder you. And all right now, what's coming back is that uh, that one girl. I keep watching it with my girlfriend. She loves it. There's now two documentaries of the girl who talked her boyfriend into killing himself and a movie. And it's like, once again, one person died. I mean, it's still a pretty good art. That's a pretty good one, actually. I just don't care. I don't care about one person dying. It's the the true horrors in the world and the things that people in the news t- decide to latch on to. It's just so fucking weird. Other than that, guys, that was uh, this is this episode. This is the beginning of this episode. My suggestions, I loved Is It Cake on Netflix. Now, is this a high echelon thinking man's uh, show? No, it's not, okay? You're looking at things and wondering if they're cake. But I would say it was a damn good time. If you got nothing to do or you got one of your loved ones, one of your mini, your side piece, your main bitch, or your wife, take some edibles, watch Is It Cake. Me and Jordan watched it, and we fucking loved it. Also, another show, Snowfall. Um, people haven't been talking about this. It's a combination of The Wire and Sons of Anarchy. So if you liked any of those, watch Snowfall from the beginning. As always, want to give a shout out to West Coast Gardens. Still smoking on that loud. If you're in Sacramento, make sure you hit them up. Also, next week I will have another weed sponsor. I'm going to show out just for one. He just, man, now nah, I'm sticking with West Coast Gardens. I'm going to give that guy a shout out in my story. So if you're in the Portland or Oregon area and you want some weed, listen to my stories. I got a great suggestion for you. Other than that, guys, I want to give a shout out to Comedy Store Records and Bruce Gray. Um, if you guys like the podcast, like it or uh, comment on it, you know, put some uh, ratings out there for me. Help me out. I'm doing this for free. Love you guys. See you next week. We're going to have on Big Herc. If you don't know who Big Herc is, he is an ex-crack dealing, was in prison for 10 years, robbed a bank, and was a legitimate porn star. So I have some incredible questions and ideas I want to ask him. It's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be an interview pod, but I think you guys are going to love it. So, can I give a shout-out to Comedy Store Records, my guy Bruce Gray for editing. Thank you guys very much. See you on the flip side. Nineteen seventy-two. Emil visits his friend Butchie to get a cut of the barbote. Was that uh, B A R B O T T E? You have any idea what that might sound like? Barbo. What's that? What, well, yeah, bar. You got it. You do, do, it. Doesn't your family speak Italian? Barbote. Are does your family not speak Italian? My grandparents do. You don't? No. Oh, Which sucks because I am an Italian citizen. Don't oh, really? tell Italy. Italy, man. I've been doing a lot of research. Always on the wrong side of history. Oh uh, yeah. Every single time <laughs> they really get away with pizza, a lot. Though. Yeah, pizza. pizza. You know what I mean? Really get Every away time with a lot, man. We just bring up pizza, and they're like, "All right, well, oh, we're yeah, even." Gelato is pretty good too. Yeah. Uh, to get his cut of the dice game that Butchie runs for the mafia. Every Thursday, Emil would come by to get his ten percent of the weekly profits, and Butchie let him know that he knew of a good score. Butchie told him that he knew of a bank where President Richard Nixon was hiding millions of dollars. Emil frequently calls President. Nixon tricky dick throughout his book and found the former president to be a worse criminal than he was. Butchie told Emil of the rumor of $30 million of tricky dick's money sitting in a bank vault that he had squeezed out of the dairy farmer's lobby. The job sounded great, but Emil was worried that this information was being leaked by the FBI in a scheme to finally catch the Dinzio burglary crew. One week later, Butchie tells Emil that this tip is from Jimmy Hoffa himself. 
Rumor was that Jimmy Hoffa had paid Nixon $3 million to commute his prison sentence, and once he was out, he wanted his money back. What a fucking insane person. Yeah. You paid the president $3 million and then you want your money back? <laughs> they felt Butchie was setting them up with this huge tricky dick score. Have you ever felt set up or scammed? Ooh. Well, so... <clears throat> I had, like, a moment of panic, so I sold the van two weeks ago, and they gave me three checks. All cashier's checks, though, so I'm like, that's, yeah, that's fine. fine. And only two cleared. Because in my head, I'm like, cashier's checks can't not clear, right? And they're like, we got to wait till March 22nd. And I'm like, what do I do? I hit these people up. And so I just had two weeks of, like, I'm going to lose money. I'm going to lose money. And then yesterday it finally went Were they through. just dated? No. They were dated for like – no. It was like it, they were dated that day. And the bank just kept it. And I'm just like, do I go – do I tell these people? What do I do? Like I need this money now. And then I went into the bank and they're like, well, you can bring the person in with his ID. I'm like, I don't know. Like this person took the yeah. car. I don't know. How am I supposed to go find this person? Like you just have to wait till the 22nd. And they're like, what if I wait till the 22nd? And they're like, it didn't go through. Yeah, he's like living in the woods now in Alaska yeah. in a fucking van. <laughs> in my van. <laughs> what do I do? I'm trying to think of, like set up though. Like no one's ever really like punk, like screwed me over big though. You've been set up? Yeah. Yeah, because you sold weed. Weed, drugs. That's how I feel like I'm so good on telling someone if I, I can see somebody or talk to them for a little while and be like, I like this guy or don't like this guy. Right. I mean, I guess gaming. comedy shows, there's yeah. like a lot of that. And comedians, especially just people in L.A. I'm I wouldn't like, even consider, like, no. I, I'm so to the point where it's like, I don't trust any comedian that you really can't, you can't screw me over. I'm like, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would never give you the gratification yeah. of me believing anything you ever told me. Yeah, that's so much bullshit, especially in this area. Yeah. Another week later, Butchie tells Emil it is the United California Bank at Six Monarch Bay Shopping Center in Laguna Niguel, California. This lent credibility to the rumor that this was dirty money from the Nixon campaign since it was so close to his San Francisco home. I don't really know where Laguna Niguel is. It's Orange County. Yeah, I thought it was. That's Laguna. Yeah, that's Laguna Niguel's down there. It's not that close to San Francisco. Is it? Yeah, it's Laguna. not close at all. Yeah. Emil assembled James and Chris, and they rent a car under a phony name registered to a phony address and drive out to California. Along the way, they ditch the rental car in Vegas and borrow a friend's car. Emil assures his friend that this vehicle won't be involved directly in any crime. Technically true, since the trip is a case, uh, the trip is to case the bank and determine what they would need to carry out the job. What a great I mean, they friend. shouldn't be. This is Emil. This is the Emil. He's been great. Yeah, he's been undefeated for but like, twenty-five years. You got to retire. I'm not saying you don't keep robbing banks, but you can't be the guy actually doing the robbery. You got to start delegating at some point. <laughs> There's also another one. You always want to change uh, cars if you are a criminal or drug smuggler. For instance, if you're thinking about smuggling drugs into different states, mm -hmm. you never want a car with California license plates. Police will pull you over more. What state do you want? Anyone outside of there. Normally a normal one. Like if you got like a. This is more back in the day when I was running drugs, but now a lot more places are. Because uh, they know a legalized. lot of drugs start here. It was more weed back in the day. Yeah. Anything from Oregon or, or California or right. Colorado, they would pull over, especially in the South. I'll still do it in the South. Examining the United California Bank revealed a common security that didn't even have motion detectors. The shopping center where it was located was isolated at the top of a hill without any homes or other businesses close enough to notice a small explosion or people on top of the roof at night. 
Emil knew blowing out the top of the concrete vault would be simple and straightforward. Emil, James, and Chuck spend an entire weekend stalking out the bank at night to see what the weekend routine was like. It's kind of nice that, like, he just gets to hang out with his brother so much. Like it that. is kind of cool. You know? Like, they're just, like, camping out, eating hot sausage sandwiches. It does sound fun. You know? Especially, I love that. Yeah, it's someone that you truly trusted not yeah, to fuck you friend. over. Yeah, your yeah. best friend, and you've been doing this shit forever, and you're both good. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Jobs like this, they spared no expense and made sure to equip themselves with $3,000 apiece walkie-talkies. They used the same secure channels that were employed by the Secret Service. And $2022, that is roughly about $60,000 for three walkie-talkies. So sick. Insane. The same comparison to the $300 million haul is equally $220 million. So the $30 million, I meant. Damn. In the same comparison, the $30 million haul is uh, equal about $202 million now. They also have at least two police scanners, a set of lockpicks, and uh, some voltmeters to determine what alarms they were dealing with. They were well prepared, but was something that happened in your life you were not prepared for? Everything. Everything? Yeah. Just walking around blind. And I remember home. I remember losing my virginity. Uh, was I was in, what, not till freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. And she said, uh, she did the line where she's like, you can do whatever you want to me. And I was like, just, just regular sex, please. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that, but in my head, I was like, One regular sex, just piece. the regular old sex. But it's like, damn, <laughs> I could have done anything. <laughs> she said, I could do whatever I want. I love the two different. I chose missionary <laughs> sex. You're like, first time I had sex, choked her to uh, completion <laughs> and fucked her ass. Let me tell you. Weird way to go from Felt there. Felt like I had to. Felt like I had to. I also love the two different sexual uh, experience you both had. One, none. The other, you know, LeBron James of the mm-hmm. intercourse game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Emil generally wanted to avoid actually going through a vault door and gave three different reasons in his book. Number one, it's incredibly easy to blow a hole in the ceiling of a concrete vault. Number two, the burglary is discovered much more click- quickly when it goes through the door. Number three, once a big enough hole is made in the door, the clock on looting the vault was started because they would have to abandon a job as soon as an employee or cleaning crew came in during the weekend at all. Wait, so if they went in through the ceiling and an employee shows up, they don't have to leave because so the door's still closed? So we're, you're going to actually see. So I think that's badass. What I kind of realized, yeah, what I kind of realized is I think banks were closed on the weekends back then. Yeah. Well, they're still closed on Sundays. Yeah, and I think back then they were closed on the weekends. Right. So what they do on this bank is they rob it for three days. Why? And you'll hear it. You'll see what happens. Okay. Emil discovers a trail leading to a condo complex across the field that would provide excellent cr- cover for them while they organized for the burglary. He tells them that they're going to pay full ca- cash to rent a condo under a local friend's name when they come back to do the job. I guess if it's $30 million, it is going to take a bit. Especially old school. And the yeah. way they do it is so cool. Rent an apartment under a friend's name while they rob a bank out of it. Talk about a bad roommate. Who's your... <laughs> <laughs> who, who, is, who is your worst roommate and why? I mean... I had this dude in college. His name was Herbie. And he would just... Uh, He's just a drug addict, and it was just trash everywhere. What and kind of drug? It what? 
it wasn't weed. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't really know because he just stayed in his room. But my favorite part about him was after the semester, we were like cleaning up, you know, because like we it was on campus, so like they do like a room check and stuff. And he goes, "Hey, I'm not coming back next semester." And I was like, "Oh, okay, you know, like we're not friends. That's fine." Yeah. And he's like, uh, "I'm gonna tour the country playing piano." And I was like, "That's pretty dope." Like I didn't even know you played piano. And he's like, "I don't." <laughs> gonna learn on the road. <laughs> he said, "He's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn on the road." <laughs> And I was like, please leave my life forever. <laughs> Imagine you and your wife <laughs> got tickets to a piano show. <laughs> it's Herbie. Uh, oh, Herbie Hancock? Herbie. Nope. nope. <laughs> Better. One name, Herbie. <laughs> he sits down, him. he puts his <laughs> tails behind him. This is the first it's the first time I've ever played piano. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it'll work out. I'm pretty doesn't look hard. <laughs> this is my first piece. Clunk, 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 clunk. Back in Ohio, Emil tasked his brother with creating a silent drill motor. God damn, these guys are smart. And getting their acetylene cutting torch from their family farm. Mm-hmm. Acetylene cutting torch from their farm family farm. I don't know what the fact that is, but uh, what things or people in your family could help you rob a bank? <laughs> you got Nothing, anyone? Man. I got, I'm trying to think. You know what? Okay. My, uh, my uncle owned own like a a hot air tool business so it's all plastic welding but but it's also like in order to plastic in order to weld plastic it's like roofing you have to do it for yeah you have to use like 800 degree heat and i feel like that that might be hot enough to like melt metal right you know like get into a vault for sure i mean i should hit him up that sounds smart i mean imagine dude people are like who stole all the money? And you're like, it couldn't have been that balloon slowly <laughs> going away. <laughs> Not me, folks. <laughs> trail of money is fine. Don't look at the balloon. Just trying to have some fun here with my yeah, uncle. Yeah, 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 don't worry about it. Emil decides that he needs to negotiate with Hoffa in case he is overestimating the value of the cash in the vault. Hoffa agrees to 5% of Nixon's money only and leaving the rest to the Dinzio crew. At the end of January 1972, the Dinsio crew had bought their California blow car, a uh, gold 1962 Oldsmobile. Blow cars is a car that they're going to get rid of after they do it. Had arranged for the burglary tools and explosives to be hidden in a United Van Lines truck going to L.A. And Emil had his Vietnam veteran nephew, Ronnie, rent out one of the condos near the bank. Vietnam vet nephew Ronnie, I think, went through enough and <laughs> have to make him start doing this. I say let Ronnie go, but hey, Ronnie doesn't have him. No, but he's time. he hates Nixon. He wants in. That's man. true, yeah. He's like, fuck you ruined my life. Sending me to Vietnam. In early February nineteen seventy two, Emil meets Butchie for the final details about Nixon's money, and Butchie tells him the exact numbers on the Nixon's boxes and lets Emil know that the bills will mostly be in the form of five hundred and thousand dollar bills. This was good news because it would lighten the load of what was needed to be removed, but guaranteed a visit to Vegas since Vegas was the only safe place to launder formally circulated. I was going to say, vehicles. like, I, that would be the big issue is how do you yeah, spend those? those? Yeah. Luckily, they were already in with the mafia. <clears throat> when you get in with the mafia, you kind of have uh, outlets to a lot Don't of stuff. Don't have to tell me, dude. I know. Butchie then begged Emil to take Paul Christopher and Charlie Brockles on the job and cut them out of Nixon's money in order to give them some fast cash to buy their way out of probation. So essentially, <laughs> they're not getting any of Nixon's money. They'll get all the leftovers. Right. But I'm going to guess these fucking morons aren't going to be good. 
The $500 bill had President McKinley on them, and the $1,000 bill had Alexander Hamilton and Grover Cleveland on them. They were both discontinued, discontinued in 1969. Torio, the government asked to put your face on a bill. What are you choosing? Ooh, two, $2 bill, man. Because that's like... You mean a Torio? When you see a $2 bill, you feel good. Mm-hmm. You're like, that's fun. Look, it's a Torio. It's a Torio. I you got know? a Torio. Some people like keep them in their wallet as like a lucky charm. Yeah. You're like, I'm in your girl's wallet, dog. <laughs> <laughs> you in her heart. I'm yeah. in her pants right now, homie. <laughs> Me, I'm going the twenty dollar. I'm tired of Harry but Tubman. She had a long enough time on the two twenty dollar. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. She's been on it for never. She's been <laughs> Been a lot of talk, and I'm tired of hearing on it. Harriet, you had your time. Well, isn't isn't Hamilton on the two? Yeah, and he was like a terrible. And human he was being. on the thousand. Yeah. Or no, Jefferson's on the two. I'm confused. Either way, it's gonna be me. Soon. No, Jefferson was good. Hamilton well, was good. Maybe Jefferson was bad. Well, they I, all own slaves. Yeah, they all own slaves. But I think some of them were like horrifically horrible people. Sure, some were. Kind of horrifically horrible. To quote Emil's opinion of Christopher and Brockles, they were house burglars and stick-up men as well as pill poppers. Sounds like he's just upset he got caught. He's yeah, blaming he's these two guys. And he went That's fair. Like, they probably fucked up. But he kind of always went with I this. picture like those two guys in Breaking Bad. Uh, Which one? I'm literally rewatching it right now. Damn, the, like the, the two meth heads. That oh, yeah, Badger and Skinny Badger Pete. Badger and Skinny Pete. <laughs> That's who these guys are. Just like when you need, when you need extra <laughs> arms. <laughs> They're the only option. What's up, man? <laughs> like fucking pill poppers yeah. and stick up men. Emil agreed to add Christopher and Brockles to the crew of the job and sealed his own fate by doing this. Who is an idiot that ruined something for you? Owner of the Chargers. Yeah, by going up here? Yeah, dude. Fuck that guy. Dean Spanos. I hate you. If I see you in the streets in LA, I'm going to punch him. I'm into it. Yeah, that guy ruined uh, football for me. Here's a good question. You know, not all the problematic athletes are the CTE. That yeah, one the rich whole white Watson, guy. Watson thing is so fucking gnarly. It's fucking wild. Here's the thing. You know, there's a question everyone always has. How many 12-year-old or like 8-year-olds do you think you beat up at one time, right? You've never heard that question? Yeah, I've heard that question. It's a How lot. many? Yeah. How many NFL owners do you think you beat at a time? I think I beat all 32. I think I can... Because I have that much rage. <laughs> well, also, they're, they're all so old. so old and evil. Yeah, exactly. they got to be just like they're just kept together by like pills and like racism and racism and like a little bit of what what is the adrenochloramine, the infant blood that they're yeah. all drinking. It's some real evil shit, and I'm yeah. willing to fuck them. I up. think one good kick to the just a kneecap just will a break them in half. Oh, yeah, just stomping toes. Ooh, <laughs> so they're on the ground. They just get to stomp their heads. March fifteenth, nineteen seventy-two. The Denzio crew found a thick spot of brush with a turnaround uphill and hidden from direct view of the bank. This is where they put their tools to prepare for the weekend of breaking into the vault. What a fun weekend they're going to have. I know. Just sausages and bros Down and Laguna. bank. Beautiful day, probably. Mm -hmm. March 16th. And in March, it's a pretty good time to be in Laguna. Oh, yeah. Emil and James return to where they hid their tools and discover that they're gone. James yeah, the fucking pill poppers sold them for more pills. Something. Well, I don't know how they found it, but they go... James and Chuck argue that they should abandon the job because the cops or feds might be wise to the heist. Emil tells them that they'll get more tools and try again next weekend. March 23rd, a week later. With the new tools, the Denzio crew wipes them all down with mineral oil while wearing gloves to make sure no fingerprints are left on the tools they are using. This is done every night of the burglary in, to it, uh, in order to ensure that there is no evidence tying them to the banks if the tools are discovered. 
Most of the time spent this first night is unloading tools and filling the sandbags with about 40 to 50 pounds of sand each. This will be stacked to protect the Dinzio crew from the explosives that they'll be doing as well as used to muffle the sound of explosives to anyone outside of the bank. So they're going to ex- they're going to have an explosion inside the bank and it's not and just because of some sandbags it's not going to be loud enough to where they still have the whole weekend to work there. I fucking good for them. That sounds They crazy. also have some other really fun stuff that I thought was super cool. Did they they didn't bring it up yet? So they climb up a conduit pipe on the drugstore next door in order to reach the roof of the bank. They then scrape off the roof gavel above the vault with an L-bar and then cut a hole into the roof with a saber saw. Every night when they finished working, they would seal the hole with roofing tar to ensure that the job was protected from the elements. Keep in mind, they're doing this when the place is cold, uh, closed, Yeah. on a weekend, no one's coming by. What they want, their idea isn't to break in and get everything they can and run away. Their idea is to keep breaking in. Dude, if you have $30 million or more in a bank, I don't care if it's a weekend. I'm having someone check in on it every 12 hours. I just, just think like back sco- then they just, just poke, didn't Just know. poke your head in. This isn't like the 20s. This is 1972. That's true. Just be like, hey, just, just show up. Damn. Upon climbing down on top of the vault after they cut it open, mm-hmm. Emil notices the concrete is already starting to crack, meaning that that particular vault was cheaply manufactured. The final step is drilling holes to prepare for the dynamite. Around 4 p.m., Emil and Jake seal up the roof of the hole and then set up a mirror and specifically arrange the roof gravel so they can make sure no one had stumbled upon their work over the course of the day. So over the multiple days, they cut and resurface a roof of a bank on top of robbing it so they can come back and do the job next day. What's the best cover-up job you ever did so you didn't get caught? Maybe a lie, something like that. You ever steal something? Ooh. No, I don't steal because I'm a coward. Okay. Like a huge puss. I'm trying to think of a cover-up. I don't know, man. What about you? You have one? I don't know. I used to steal a lot of clothes. And then I would do, uh, I would, to cover that up, I would dress super preppy, Mm. like super, like pink polo, seven jeans, flip-flops, and then I would buy, I would go, this is when I'm like 16. Yeah. And I would go to like outlets, Uh because companies really don't give a fuck what goes on in an outlet. So I'll go to an outlet, and then I'll go to the Nike outlet, which is in every outlet. I'd buy a single pack of socks, and I'd ask for the biggest bag, normally like the, kind of the cardboard one that stands up on its own. Then I would go to Burberry in Vacaville, and they would have clothes on racks. And I would find one that didn't have a little thing on it. I'd put the bag underneath and just top it off, falls into the bag. So my cover-up was, and I remember they had a female security guard. And honestly, in, in high school, I was probably jacked way more than I was now. Probably right. weighed more. Yeah, yeah. And I was always like, if it comes down to it, I'm going to have to punch this chick in the fucking head. <laughs> Why? I, I literally. Th- Why do you have to hit her? Well, if she you comes just again. Run. Yeah, I could. I done. guess. I, I mean, guess. I'm not gonna like go attacking her, but if she like popped up on me, I'm like, if it's between me going to jail, because at the time, bro, this was Burberry. These were right. like five thousand dollars for the shit I was doing. That's I would, fair. I would so go to school like, in like Burberry sweaters that were like. That's grand. It made no the clo- sense. The, the like the worst stealing I ever did, I guess, this is a cover up. Is I took the. Uh, I just wanted we. I wanted beer because like I. You know, like we all do. 
in high school, I put real beer into a six pack of like, remember those glass root beers? Yeah. And I swapped it out and just bought, which oh, pretty smart. Must've looked so stupid. I just, I'm just buying a six pack of like Thomas Kemper root beers. (laughs) And then when it worked, it was like, and also it was like a two fifty. That's a great one. Yeah. Like, I never robbed a person. I don't do that. Yeah, yeah, When yeah. I was a kid, I would steal from companies all the time. My friends would do, we would, all, we would, he, my buddy worked at Albertsons, so he would wheel out, like, a trash can, you know, like, to mop, you know, they were cleaning, and then my, me and my buddies, I was, I was there, but I was too, they would fill, the, they would put, like, bottles of alcohol and some beer in the trash can. Oh, and just wheel that out with the top and on it And then he would take the trash out. And then they would go rifle through the trash. And that was a good one. Free. Hey, I had a buddy who worked at Home Depot would do that. He got us an air conditioner one time. That's pretty tight. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Night, March 24th, 1972, the Dinzio crew listen to police scanners all day and hear nothing about a bank robbery or break-in. 10 p.m. rolls around, and so Emil and James begin their work. Emil went straight to the telephone junction box and diverted the alarm signals. This made sure that the alarm neither... Uh, Neither the police station or anyone would right. hear it. The next step, this one I love, was to fill all the bell alarms, that's the local ones, with liquid styrofoam to keep them from working. From, yeah, that's great. So tight. smart. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is so simple but genius. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the vault, James marked five X's where to drill the holes for the dynamite and proceeded to drill down 11 inches. This was done in less than three minutes. They then placed the dynamite, went behind a wall of sandbags, and detonated the ceiling of the vault. This was done as soon as uh, they got the all-clear was given from Chuck and Phil. Before entering the vault, Emil and James would remove the fumes by cre- uh, created by the nitroglycerin dynamite. After this, the rebar uh, used to cure the concrete would be cut, and they would lower a ladder into the vault. The first box that Emil and James took for uh, were the ones with the numbers given to them by Butchie. These are the Tricky Dick boxes. They then took their B&O railroad spike drivers to the locks and knocked them out with a sledgehammer. Kind of like the thing that they did in No Country for Old Men, you know? Right. But with uh, a so spike I, driver. And I guess, too, if you're just blowing the roof, maybe someone could come and check on it and not know anything was happening. Yeah, bro. As I long mean, as they didn't come during happens. the explosion. Yeah, that's crazy. straight up happens. It's like the smartest thing in the world. They, um, <clears throat> well, I'm trying to get this back up here. Using this technique always knock locks out and into the safety deposit boxes. The first box contained 10 packs of $100 bills that contained $100,000 to make a million. So $10,000 to make a million in just one box. The box also contained a bag of $20 cones. A lot of coins, a lot of currency is not really seen anymore. The next box contained... $20 coins? $20 coins. Sounds awesome. I know. That'd be great. Just throw somebody that for Mm -hmm. a fucking meal. (laughs) The next box contained Kroger bags that had been taped shut. Inside those bags were envelopes filled with $1,000 bills. Shout out to Kroger Grocery Bags, the official bag of toilet garbage pails. (laughs) The second Kroger bag contained uh, envelopes full of $500 bills. There were also gold coins and gold railroad watches. I don't know what those are. There were also stocks and bonds. Emil and James knew it wasn't $30 million, but after counting, they had in cash alone $12 million. Emil and James took the Tricky Dick money and hid it so Phil and Brockles would have no idea. They opened a few more boxes in order to gather loot for the night and wrapped up night one. Damn, so the the, the 
pill heads, they had no idea how much money they were they're fucking robbing. Morons. Yeah, they're thinking like, wow, we'll get like twenty grand each or something. Yeah, and these morons are the reason that these guys got in fucked. One box. I know. Holy shit! Twelve milli from one safety deposit box. What a great night! What's one of the best nights you ever had? <clears throat> Not that good. Probably. I mean, I. We've had some good nights. Clusterfest was pretty cool because I got to perform. Comedy Central's Comedy Cluster Central's Fest. Clusterfest. And then it was during the Warriors playoff run. Oh, so yeah. I got to watch the Warriors game at Patty's Pub because they made like a Patty's Pub from Always Sunny Bar. So it was like I did my show, which was like cool people, awesome. like yeah, famous people on it. Watch the Warriors and then go outside and watch Bill Burr close the whole night down. Or, like, go up on the roof of, like, the Bill Graham mm-hmm. and just watch the whole festival from up there. That was a pretty great day. Yeah, that's a pretty good. I don't even know what my favorite day ever would be. Yeah. I've had a few. Um, March 25th, 1972, night two. Had Emil and James added broccoles to help emptying the safety deposit box. You know, because they don't need to trick them anymore. Emil noted in his book that broccoles was almost too fat for the hole. He hates this guy so much. <laughs> yeah, he's just like talking shit. He's a pill popping moron. He's like fat in the fuck. same prison as he's writing this book. I'm like, fuck it. While emptying boxes, Chuck radios them that a car is approaching the bank. Emil had to remind Brockles that no one knew they were there and they would be fined if they were quiet. Once again, every day they seal the roof. And it's on the weekend. No one's going to the vault. Right. They sat in silence for over an hour while cleaning crew buffed the floors of the bank. That's so wild. They finished removing what they could and called it a night. See, I, feel, I feel bad for that cleaning crew because you know they're going to get questioned. Yeah. And they're going to be like, so where's what? how much did you get? And they're like, nothing, man. I made $5 the whole day. They're like, you're telling me. And I cleaned a floor. A guy blew up a safe. <laughs> yeah. Cut open over. And you had no yes, idea. I swear. All right, Alejandro Lopez, <laughs> you're going to jail. They finished removing what they could and called it a night. Seeing how much mo- loot they had, Emil sent his nephew Ace to buy seven large plastic Samsonite suitcases. Shout out to Samsonite. Who knew they'd been along that, uh, around that long? March 26, 1972, the final night in the vault and covering their tracks. The Dinzio crew opened up the final safe deposit box and hauled out the loot. Emil made sure to tamper with the timid locks and on the vault door so it wouldn't open when the bake opened on Monday. Oh, the timed locks. Yeah. And they would have uh, have to wait for a vault repair person to come and open the door. So not only are they going to get out there before anyone even knows, mm-hmm. they're fucking up the vault so it takes them even longer. Right. After going back on the roof, they sealed a hole they had cut and replaced roof gravel so it would not be obvious that a hole was cut in the roof. Upon returning to the condo, Emil, James, and Chuck put on gloves and began counting the loot that would be split by Phil and Brockles. While doing this, Emil had to yell at Phil and Brockles to put on gloves as they were putting fingerprints all over some of the jewelry. Pill-popping fat fucking morons. Mm -hmm. They call it a night and pack up the car the following day. The vault had 500 locks, and they managed to get into 458 of them during the weekend. Damn, does it say how much they ended up making? Um, no, I think it was over twelve million. That's all I do know. Holy shit, what a fucking store. Five hundred locks and they got four hundred and fifty eight of them. That's something they won't forget. What's a memory, good or bad, that you won't forget? Not Clusterfest. <clears throat> Damn, dude. Just any any night I get to spend with my good friend Steve Fury. Great answer. I remember every single one of those. 
See, my worst night ever. Anyone have time with Torio Van Grohl? No. Yeah, I'm a lot. You are a lot. It's crazy so that hard people to hang that you with. keep hitting me up. Yeah, it's like, what? Pizza and sausages. <laughs> All right. Stare at a bank. Sure, I'm in Torio. Come on, man. Let's eat some hot sausage sandwiches later. Just say yes. I'm not a, I'm a man who says yes to everything. Yeah. The following Monday, the bank manager called the locksmith to open the vault, and by the afternoon when he finally arrived, he informed the bank manager that he would need to drill into the vault. Imagine that, dude. You you own a bank. In your day, <laughs> the bank's the vault's not opening. It's already Monday. It's already Monday. You know, your weekend, you had a good weekend, you get to work, and you're like, I can't get into my vault. Can't get in the vault. And then you get into it. <laughs> In 458 of 500 <laughs> locks were stolen, and there's a hole in your roof. Uh-huh. And you're thinking, where is Alejandro? Yeah. <laughs> you And the floor's not even buffed. The floor looks like shit. <laughs> it's like, clearly he didn't buff anything. <laughs> he just robbed us. Oh, man. This happened more than 12 hours after they had finished the job and already began getting the money back to Ohio. That's pretty far in America, 12 Damn, hours. This is the one they get caught for? Yeah. Ace, Phil, and Brockles. Brockles drove the blow car. Yeah. Uh, it's might be. Yeah, one of them. Uh, drove the blow car with a haul from Saturday. Emil, James, and Chuck, the family, drove the car they borrowed from their Vegas friend with the tricky dick haul. So they had the real money. Yeah. Aftermath of the heist. Coming to an end here. Damn, so they got they get back to Ohio. They get it back. That's the thing, man. You can't steal that much money and get away with it. Well, we're gonna see what happens right here. Well, you can't steal a fucking Unless presidents. you're the US government. God damn right, baby. This is a conspiracy uh, theory America. podcast, right? No, well, you don't steal the president's money, that's where they fucked up. Emil took the tricky dick money to Vegas, uh, to his contact to have the money laundered for fee of four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Damn. So he probably normally I think laundering is ten percent, so he probably got close to forty five million dollars. Yeah, you said there was twelve million just in one of the boxes. In one, in one yeah, one so of the I boxes. Bet he made at one least night. forty. After giving three million to Jimmy Hoffa, that piece of shit got his money back. Oh, and that was five percent. Yeah, five percent. Five goes into twenty. It's twenty times. That's about like 60. sixty. Yeah, the laundered money was split three ways. To this day, the money has never been recovered by federal authorities. Shortly after this heist, the FBI plant in the mafia would bring a $3 million guarantee vault to a meal. Yeah, but it's also like if they did find the money, Nixon's not going to admit that they found it. That's He's true. just going to be like, now I got $30 million and yeah. I don't have to fucking account for it. Yeah, for sure. Garbage human being. Emil scoped the bank and thought it would be an easy job, but two things went wrong. His, now a rat, mafia source lied and there wasn't even four hundred grand in there. The other problem is that Diebold upgraded their alarms to count exact pulses, rendering the boss man ineffective, that little gun they had. Mm -hmm. Unaware that his friend was a rat, Emil took $100,000 in $100 bills to be laundered by his local mafia friend who gave it directly to the feds. $100,000 back in the fucking 70s? Oh, so much money. It's like a million bucks. Yeah, it's got to be more than a million bucks, probably. His mafia friend, Pat Ferruccio, F-E-R-R-U-S-H-O. Was revealed to be a major rat in all organized crime happening in the Cleveland area. Back to Cleveland. Very serendipitous. Mm -hmm. Pat, what a fucking rat. Who was someone who ratted on you? Tattletale. Anyone ever get you in trouble at work? 
<clears throat> so I went to a uh, my cousin got married in Montana, like on a swanky resort, and we uh, it came with like an app, you know, like it was. So we all were in these cottages, and then there was like that that there was an app that you could log into. And you could hit them up and be like, anything you want. Like, I want drinks. I want a towel. Is this I want through the ride. hotel or through, through your the friends? hotel? Oh, cool. And so it got to a point where we were like sitting around drinking and uh, we started like texting them stuff to see what they couldn't do. You know what I mean? But they would always answer. It was like, it became like, hey, Siri, we we're just being shitty. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so we go to the wedding, right? And then there's like, and before the, the, um, reception there's like an hour to kill so we go back to one of the cottages we're all drinking and so i decide i'm gonna hit up them thing hit up the app the question app thing and i'm like hey when does the wedding start because the job of the (laughs) hotel was they all had to like (laughs) schedule picking you up to take to the wedding and they don't answer right like they just don't and i'm like i won the game right like i got i found something they couldn't do and then i forget all about it and then i show up to the reception and there's like the whole the wedding planner like the whole crew and my uncle brother and my sister-in-law get out and they're they like somehow they traced it like they knew i mean obviously it was my phone but like i don't know how they knew that was me getting out of the car and they were just like mr van Grohl, did you go to the wedding and immediately or did you make it to the wedding because like we're trying to figure out who missed the wedding and my sister-in-law immediately is like uh didn't throw i'm trying to th- figure out how it went down she she was like ride or die she's yeah. like yep all good don't need we're all good thank you and then my brother and uncle threw me under the bus so fast and this wedding planner yelled at me like just for missing the wedding well i didn't miss the wedding just because i put her through thinking someone had missed the wedding you know what i mean oh the wedding was already going on when you We'd texted already, her i texted her uh. after the wedding and said <laughs> when are you guys picking me up to take me to the wedding and then they it, they went like radio silence because they were like we fucked up because like all these people flew to Montana yeah. and then we didn't pick them up. You didn't get her brother in the wedding. And then my brother snitched me out. So I was just like, I'm not gonna. She was fuming. I've never had like that wrath from a stranger before. Mm. Sold me out. I don't know. It's yeah, that always irritates me too, man. When that's why I like brother, my girlfriend. Yeah, tr- tr- yeah, dude. That's why I like my girlfriend. She was like, I think he thought it was funny watching me. That was more why he did it. But I would have done that too. Yeah. Like, yeah Actually, I take that back. If there's no actual <laughs> problems, I would love to watch my friends. But it was just like sh- the wedding planners at the wedding reception all night. So I would just keep running into her and just be like looking down, be like, I'm sorry. So funny. For me, it was a guy. It's a stupid waitress here named Bianca. She's a very attractive, half black ass person. She's woman. still here. Yeah. Um, this woman could die in a fire. And I would throw a thorough, a thorough log, thermal oh, log on it. seems like you have a good working relationship. She is one of the – I don't work here anymore. She's one of the worst people I've ever met in my goddamn life. She has ratted on every door guy here more times than I count for Damn. a selling booth. Literally more times than I can count. She's the only person ratting. And she goes straight to the management. I do not work here anymore. I mean, I'm a comedian, so I do not have to care about what happened. This woman is a devil. Damn. If you are a fan of comedy and you come to the comedy store and you get Bianca, <laughs> do not tip her. And then under tip, say, Steve Fury said you're a piece of shit because all the smoke's with her. She is a climber. She works with, like, a Neil Brennan's podcast. She's the third Michael Neil Brennan's podcast. Right. She is one of the worst. Mo- she complained that when we would sell booths, they, they would get less uh, tips. They're this- going through that kind of shit right now, right? Yeah, well, they took them all away because she complained again. 
So this is the thing about the waitresses here make three to four hundred dollars a night. Sure. Every night that they work here. So why are you selfish? Just let other people make money. Come on, Bianca. A fire. I would laugh. I would get a hot sausage sandwich. I would call you. Damn. And we would scope it out It'd like, be like a meal and James with like, a bank. Oh, yeah. That cheese would melt. Put on a fucking baseball game. Just go 1970s. This one would burn it's in dark, the car. man. No, I really don't like her. Of course, if she died. <laughs> you can't even, you can't even go really back on dare. what you said. I really Damn. wouldn't care. I would not throw a thermolog on her burning car. But I'd go. Yeah, that sucks. And then walk away, you know. Mm-hmm. Terrible human being. The worst I've ever met in my life. Yeah, I want to change mine. <laughs> to her? You want to do Bianca too? Yeah, sure. June 27th, 1972. Shortly after Emil leaves his home, several FBI vehicles surround his car and announce he is under arrest. As an agent tries to steal his pocket money. Steal? I don't think it's stealing. It's <laughs> part of the thing. You can tell we got this from Emil's book. Right, yeah. He's yeah. like, they took my $150. <laughs> they burgled. They robbed it. Who does that? <laughs> Emil demands he put it back, and every serial number needs to be written down before his possessions are taken. Emil contends in his book that all the witnesses that were used were bought off by the FBI with money seized from him. The final straw was Brockles turned to a rat to have a murder charge drop and gave the details of the United California bank heist and then entirely recounted a burglary that he had no part of. He's just riding to get his ass off. Emil James and that dumb, dumb brother, Chuck. Chuck. Each had to serve. What do you think? Give me a number. I mean, federal bank robbery, burglary got involved. I'm going to go 30 years. Okay, not bad. 20 years in prison for the parts in the burn. Damn. So a lot of times, you know, if you do steal stuff and you don't uh, put guns in people's faces mm-hmm. and stuff like that, you'll get a lot less. Yeah. When the Freedom Information Act was released, Emil began requesting FBI documents regarding his case starting in 1976. He has collected all these documents and is convinced the FBI stole and fabricated evidence to get his conviction. He denies the FBI story and their fingerprints were found, fa- and the FBI says that their fingerprints were found on dirty dishes in that condo. He says there's bullshit. There's nothing in that condo. I didn't even live there. We had no dishes. Emil believes the FBI rented out his neighbor's house beginning in early March 1972 until the day of his arrest in June. And that is it. That's the story of Emil. Wait, but he, he admits that he did it. Yeah, he went to jail for 20 years so and what he's out he, and he wrote a book. Why does he care about fucking... Why, how he got caught? Yeah. Well, he just says he... Sh- I mean, he sa- pretty much his whole thing is that in his book he said that... um. What does he do now? Yeah, he's dead. I, I actually hit him up to uh, be on the podcast. Actually, if it was, you hit him up, yeah. but he was dead. He was dead. They said he passed away. <laughs> so you hit someone up. So I hit someone up. <laughs> I hit him up. I did a quick like, Ouija board thing, and he was like, I'm busy. Next time. So, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like, how many downloads you got? He's like, ah, <laughs> almost. Get You're getting there. It's coming. <laughs> yeah. Like, get hit me up when you got at least 10K. Yeah, it's just like, because going through, like, the fucking whole realm of heaven, <laughs> it's like, it's nice. I got to have, like. There's, like, portals involved. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be a little bit bigger. So that was a story. Uh, Torio, thanks for coming. Where can we watch you and your fantastic podcast with my buddy, our buddy, Zach Chapel? That's right. Hesby Street Podcast. Check us out. Check it out. Bunch of great ki- clips. If you don't want to listen to an hour-long podcast, at least follow both these guys because they cut the clips up. And yeah, it has to be Street Pod. And I watch, the, the I watch them all. They're fun, man. They're great. They're Thanks okay. for coming in, buddy. Really appreciate it. Um, tell them your Instagram, too. At Torio Van Grohl. 
All right, guys. Hey, and this one's too. If you have a very funny ex-cop, or not funny, if you have an ex-cop in your life or someone or an ex-criminal, and they want to come on the podcast, DM me on Instagram. Cause Dude, we'll get a current criminal. On I'm the trying podcast. to get a lot of criminals in here, and guess what? They're not good at socials. And a lot of the people that get out of jail <laughs> after 25, 30 years, yeah, they're not. They don't know how Instagram works. Yeah, but if you don't get an ex-criminal, you're just gonna keep getting nerds like me that are like, I stole root beer. No, you were still good. I mean, all these are still good with the comedians, but I want to get maybe an interview and just get real fucking dirty on what people have done. Thank you very much, buddy. Thank you, to the Comedy Store, Tony Gidley on the ones and twos. Tony. Pod, comedy Store uh, Records. All right, see you guys. Bye. <laughs>